We're going to read together uh, Psalm 139, and this morning's theme is about God being the light and uh, shining his light on us, and uh, in a season of pretty profound darkness in many ways, um, from global health pandemic to the racism and, uh, that's being exposed and systemic sin. And our culture has just been a time where um, God's light is shining in a unique way. So we're going we're gonna to read from 1 John later. That, that's where my brief teaching will be. But we also want to read Psalm 139. So would you read this out loud with me? Let's read it together. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked, away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just take a moment. This is going to shape the rest of our time together this morning, really, these two verses. So take a moment and just think about those last two verses and contemplate on them for a moment. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All right, so who, who here has seen The Princess Bride? Has everyone seen The Princess Bride? Great movie, right? All right, what, what's the greatest thing in the world? 
true love, except for what? An MLT when the mutton is nice and lean, the tomatoes are ripe. Yeah, now, what, what is the greatest thing in the world? True love. What's the great, yeah, what's the greatest thing in the world? It's love. God is the greatest thing in the world. What's his, what's his defining attribute, his defining characteristic? Is, is love. Yeah, the love of God is his defining characteristic. Um, I had originally, before COVID hit, I had planned out a sermon series for the entire year, and uh, that whole thing got scrapped along with uh, all the other plans we all had. Um, But as we were kind of coming closer to being able to get together in person, I was just asking the Lord, um, what would you want us to look at in your word? I I was consistently drawn to 1 John. And when you think about 1 John, what's, what's a word that comes to mind when you think about this, this scripture? What's that? Love, right? This is, this is an epistle all about love, a letter all about love. So we're going to be, whatever it looks like for us to gather, <laughs> uh, whether it's in small groups or as things continue to reopen, um, whether we're worshiping outside or, or in here, um, I'm going to be focusing on 1 John, um, a series I'm calling Love Above All. And this morning we'll be in 1 John chapter 1, um, and this is the passage where it says that God is light. There's three things that I want to look at in this passage together this morning that have to do with confession. And I think the, that this scripture teaches three things about confession, three things that confession does. First, confession, confession brings us into the light and redefines reality. So when we learn to confess, it not only causes us to step into the light of God, which we'll look at in this passage, but it also reshapes the way that we see life itself. Secondly, confession restores us to community. And thirdly, confession disarms Satan. Um, so we're going to look at these, th- these three things uh, today. So um, I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray and just ask God to speak through his word. And then we'll read First John 1 together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your word, the way that you teach us. And um, your word has been such a gift uh, to each of us who have a relationship with, with you, God. But especially it seems like in times of struggle, confusion, uh, fear in times of trauma, there's something in us that's longing to get a word from God. We were created to commune with you. As it says in the Psalms, speak, O Lord, for if you are silent, I might as well go down to the pit. I might as well be dead if you're not speaking. And um, that certainly comes in my life, that desperation comes in times of difficulty, times of trauma. I always want to be hungry for your word. I always want to be ready to listen to you, but I am a sinful, broken man. And if I'm being honest, sometimes it takes pain to get me there. Uh, Sometimes it takes fear to drive me there. And uh, we're certainly in a time of pain and fear. And so God, we look to your word to speak. We look to your word to teach us. And I pray that you would teach us those gathered here, those who might listen to this uh, later on, on the podcast or whatever, that you would teach us through your word to be a confessing people.
people and that you would bring healing to our relationships through that gift. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the Apostle John's words in 1 John 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Where, where's another place that John uses that phrase, the word of life, or the word? Yeah, right, right, same writer. Um, right at the beginning of his gospel, the story of Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the word of God. This is the same idea. So he's saying, concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest. What's it mean for something to be manifest? To be what? Tangible, yeah. Um, real, it, it means to be revealed. If something is made manifest, it's explained, it's shown, it's revealed. So he's saying, we are, God is revealing the word of life. He's making it clear. And we have seen it, he says, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, was revealed to us. That that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now listen to these. This is where we're going to focus our, our brief time here from 6 to 10. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Can we read that verse together? Let's read verse seven out loud together. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, the son of God, cleanses us from all sin. Now listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if any of us say we are without sin, this is a very postmodern kind of faddish thing to do, to think uh, that, that because truth, and I'm, this is in quotes, because truth is relative, um, because there is no standard objective set of truth, then there can be no standard objective set of sin or what's wrong. And so, believe it or not, there, there are plenty of people who are out there, and you can read this, uh, who believe that, that there is no sin, that there is no such thing as sin. But listen to what he says. If we say we have no sin, who are we deceiving? Are we deceiving anyone else? No. Anyone who knows me, if I would say... If, if you really know me, if I would say I'm without sin, you'd look at me and say, yeah, there's only one person you're fooling, <laughs> right? And all of us are in that place. John is saying, if you say you're without sin, you're deceiving yourself. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now he's going to flip back to the way that God deals with it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His point here is why would we hide? Why would we deceive ourselves that we don't have sin? Because what happens when we confess our sins? 
What happens when we're just honest and real about our brokenness? What does it say? He forgives us. So not only are we not deceiving ourselves, but we're stepping into the light in such a way that God frees us from that and forgives us. Let me read that again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he's going to go back to the previous point. If we say we have not sinned, not only are we deceiving ourselves, but what are we saying about God? That he's a liar. All right, who here wants to look face to face in God's eyes and say, you're a liar? That's ridiculous, right? And yet, if we're living our lives as if we don't need that, as if we don't need to live in constant confession, then we're living as if we're saying God is a liar. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word, who's his word? His son. There's not a capital W there, but there should be. His word, his son, is not in us. All right, so let's look at these three things about confession. These are three things that I think this word teaches us about confession and what confession does. First of all, confession brings us into the light and redefines reality. So confession, the the best definition I've ever heard of confession, it's real simple. It's this, to see as God sees. Can you all say that with me? Confession is to see as God sees. So in other words, um, to see a situation in the same way God sees it and say, I agree with you about what you're saying about this thing. That's what it means to confess. So whether or not you personally feel that way, you're submitting, you're coming under the authority of God in confession and saying, God, how do you see this situation? No matter how I feel about it, I'm choosing to agree with you about it. Whether that's, you know, I want to do this thing that feels really good and God's saying no, or it's I don't want to do this thing and God's saying do it, or, you know, I don't agree with you about this being a bad thing or, or whatever. To confess is to submit to the authority of God and say, I, I'm choosing to see this thing in the same way that you see it. I have uh, a mentor who often uh, has said a, a phrase that... Um, all men are pigs, and without Jesus, they stay that way. And, um, you know, I'm a man, and I would, I would like to say, no, that's not true. <laughs> and yet, when I think about the things that I would want in my flesh, um, the things that I would chase after in my flesh, if it were not to, if my flesh, in my heart, if I'm not submitting to what God says, Um, That's absolutely true. It's in confession that I'm stepping into the authority, stepping into this floodlight, right? Out of the darkness, into the light, that God can shine truth and that I can agree with it in that place. We're we're living in a unique time uh, in our culture. Uh, the, The number one sin of America throughout our history has been the way that we destroy the image of God in other people and play fast and loose with the image of God, whether it's um, the genocide of Native Americans or abortion or racism. Um, We have consistently, as a people, as a nation, continually 
disregarded the image of God in people that do not look like us and do not sound like us. Generation after generation, we have done this. And we're in a time where there's a reckoning. (laughs) There's a reckoning for that. And no matter what your politics are, no matter what you think about this, this time that we are in is a gift from God because the light of Christ is being shown on our brokenness and on our fallenness. And we don't need to be afraid of that because we can step into the light, pray for healing, and confess what we don't know and the ways that we're broken. It is a gift from God. Believe it or not, um, I'm going to grab something out of my bag here. Uh, Theologians don't actually know how to define sin. All right, that may sound surprising to you, but sin is actually a really tricky thing to define. So if you were just to give a Sunday school answer for what is sin, what would you say? What, What is sin? Just lying, okay? It's that's the result of it. So it's something that causes separation. Not agreeing. Not agreeing. So disobeying. Uh, disobeying with God would, would be uh, a type of sin. Yeah, these are, those are all right. But, but when you try to really narrow, like nail down what sin is, it's actually really tricky. Because sin, as C.S. Lewis has pointed out in numerous of his books, is actually, it's the absence of something. It's a nothingness. It's not a something, it's an apathy. It's not even a hate, it's a lack of care. Uh, and, and the more you try to think about it, the more you realize that sin is also often cultural. So for instance, and this is kind of a funny example, but I'll give it. Um, I can't think of any example where it would be okay for me to walk outside of this building and look at a woman who's unclothed today. I can't think of a single example other, other than within my marriage covenant. However, when I was a kid and I lived in the Philippines, I visited a tribe of Manobo people where no one wears any clothes. And I can stand before you with a clear conscience and say it was totally appropriate for me to be in relationship with people in that setting. So that's just that one little example. One of the things that I, I think this is so profound And this is why I'm saying that confession redefines reality. How do we know what sin is? How do you know what sin is in your life? It's through confession. Listen to this. These are words from Scott McKnight. He says, sin is complex. Some deny its existence as an objective entity, while others shove it entirely into the realm of the systematic or systemic, but give it a real existence, whether political, economic, or ideological. Some focus on personal responsibility and the loss of sin in our culture. The deeper we get into sin, the more complex it becomes. The more we probe into the meaning of sin, the more we come to what theologian Ted Peters observes. Perhaps the only way to get at the truth of sin is through confession. The only way to get at the truth of sin is confession. You want to know what sin is in your life? Go to God and confess. Go to God and begin to say, search me. Those words we just prayed, search me and know me. Point out anything in me. Confess to a brother or sister the ways that you're struggling and what the, the exact nature of what it is will begin to come to the front in a way that 
is impossible without the process of confession. So confession is not only seeing what God sees and submitting to it, it's also the, in the process of confession that we actually learn what the sin is in our life and it's redefined and it defines the way that we see the world. All right, secondly, confession restores us to community. Sin breaks down not only our relationship with God, but who else does it break down our relationship with? Each other. Okay, who here has struggled with a relationship with another person? Who here has a relationship that you don't know how to move forward in? Who here has a relationship that you feel stuck? You don't know how to move forward with this person. All of us. All of us. (laughs) And this is where confession is such a gift. It's such a gift because it is meant, as we confess, as we're just real and honest about our brokenness, not only is God faithful and just to forgive us, but it also restores us to community. Listen to what the famous uh, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his small book, Life Together. He says, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. It's in confession that the breakthrough to having right relationships with one another takes place. Sin demands to have a person by him or herself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he will become involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. We've all experienced this, right? A sin in our life, it it wants to remain unknown. The last thing that our flesh wants is us to reveal what's going on within us. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be, uh, must be openly spoken and acknowledged. There is nothing more unhealthy than a family that won't talk about its problems. There is nothing more unhealthy than a church that won't talk about its problems than a person that won't be honest about their problems. This is the most unhealthy, toxic type of individual or type of community. We have to be open. We have to be willing to just say, yes, we dropped the ball. Yes, we have failed. Yes, we are broken. And the love of God meets us in that place. The sin must be brought into the light, Bonhoeffer says. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. And guess what? It's going to be made manifest someday before God. Let's do that hard, good work of making it known and manifest today. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted, but God breaks the gates of brass and bars of iron. Anyone ever experienced the relief of confession? something you've been carrying and hiding, and when you just release it, what does it feel like? Oh, it feels like freedom. It feels like freedom. But that's not what Satan or our flesh wants us to think. What's the number one tool 
the enemy has against people who are in Christ, who belong to Christ. So you and I belong to Jesus Christ. What is the weapon that Satan has against us? What's that? I think that shame is the result of this weapon. Yes. The only weapon that Satan has against you and I who belong to Christ is accusation. He can accuse us. So um, what does Satan do? How does he accuse us? He says, I know what you did, right? I know what you did. I know you had a thought. I know, I know what you thought about. I know what you did. And then what does he do with that information? Well, he blackmails us with it. He says to us, I know what you did. And if you don't, I'll reveal it. I'll expose you for the fraud that you are. I'll expose you for the liar that you are. I'll expose you for whatever it is. So when we confess, how does blackmail work? If, if there's nothing confidential, can you blackmail someone? If, if, if they, <laughs> blackmail only works if they're secrets. That's the only way it works. So when we confess our sins one to another and to God, it's literally taking the only weapon that Satan has, tying his hands behind his back and putting duct tape over his mouth. Because when he comes to accuse, when he comes to point his finger at you and blackmail you, what do you say? Exactly. He says to you, I know what you did. And you're like, yep, so does God. So does my spouse. So does my community. There is nothing that will disarm the power of the satanic, the demonic, that which is evil, that which is broken. There is nothing that will disarm it as much as the simple act of confession. The two great acts of spiritual warfare in our lives are joy, practicing joy and celebration, and practicing confession being honest about our brokenness and sin. Oh, it is so good to step into the light and just be honest with God and with others. It's so good on a personal level. It's so good on a family level. It's so good on a cultural level to just step into the light and say, yes, God, shine your light. And that is where freedom is found. So I think this passage that we, we looked at this morning shows us three things about confession. There's, the Bible has all kinds of things to say about confession. But these three things in particular in First John, when we step into the light, when we don't deceive ourselves, when we don't call God a liar, when we are just open about our brokenness, when we see it as God sees it, confession brings us into the light and redefines reality. Confession restores us to community and confession disarms Satan. I think in our culture, in this time we're in of a global pandemic, of our, our American culture wrestling with the repercussions of our great national sin, uh, this is a time for us individually as a people to just be a people who are confessing believers, who are confessing to God, who are open and real about our brokenness and what we don't know. And this is a gift. This is a real gift. We're, we are in a time where the Spirit of God is revealing things, and it is a gift because in it will be healing 
and life and joy. So um, if you would, just take for a moment, take inventory about uh, how is the practice of confession working in your life? Um, Are you living in confession, not only with God, it's really important to bring other people into that too. Uh, Certainly confess to God, but part of confessing to God is actually confessing to other people. (laughs) And it's easy for us to say, well, I gave that to God. Um, But really, where does the rubber meet the road for us? It's usually when we are sharing that with another person. Um, And so just take inventory and for a moment, uh, just let, uh, let God, let the Spirit of God you know, pray that prayer, search me and know me, God. And then we're going to sing, uh, Lord, I need you. Father, you are truly good to your people. You're truly good to us, God. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love. Thank you that when we step into the light, we find uh, <laughs> the great relief of your forgiveness and the joy and the love of Christ. We pray that we would be a people of confession who are honest and real. We pray that our church would be a church of broken people who are real about that brokenness. We would receive healing and freedom in our confession. We pray that each person here would have people in their lives that they can just talk to openly knowing that they will still belong loved and pray for our community and in our culture where there's so many secrets and so much hiding and so much denial and so much just covering up of things that are broken and wrong so much spin so much untruth god that your light would shine that your kingdom would come and your will would be done thank you for this group of people here this morning god bless them as we go from here we pray for our families meeting in homes, praying in homes today, some who are not yet able to meet. Uh, We miss being together. I have an exhaustion in my spirit from this season that I'm sure many people are are feeling. There's been parts about it that are nice, uh, the change of schedule and all of that, but I just want to be with my people. (laughs) I just want to be with with people, and I want to sing, and I want to be able to give hugs, and I want to be able to play on playgrounds and throw balls and and shake hands and <laughs> share fellowship meals and and I know that many many people are feeling that and so we we thank you for uh, just this gift to be able to gather we pray for those who are hurting and sick pray for our um, african-american brothers and sisters who are uh, just living in such a volatile moment and feeling all sorts of things just uh, for your grace. We, we uh, pray that we would continue to learn what it means to honor your image in all people. And um, we pray for our leaders, for wisdom in this crazy time, that you would give them discernment to lead um, in a way that honors you, God. And we pray for the leadership of this church, myself included, just continue to ask for your grace and wisdom um, in setting up services and what we can do and all of that. Uh, yeah, so we just, we bless you, God. We love you. And we go from here uh, joyfully because you are good, so good. And we pray and sing in Jesus' name. Amen.